It's good to be here tonight, and I thank God for the opportunity. It's a blessing to realize and to remember and to think about. He was talking about that uh, fellow that got saved in prison, his mother. You know, it's very, very hard to get beyond a mother's prayers. It's almost impossible. I know my mother prayed for me a long time before I got saved. I got saved in 1970. She went to be with the Lord in 1975 in March the 5th. From 1975, just a 45-year-old girl. I was thinking about it when the gentlemen were singing a moment ago, the duet about heaven. My mother's been there now all these years. And uh, I don't know if she gets to see what we do down here on earth. I don't know why they'd want to be bored enough to look down here and look at this mess. But (laughs) they might ever take a glimpse every once in a while. But I remember the last day I saw my mother on this planet. We were all summoned to the hospital. And they, they sang about beyond the reach of mortal man, that, that old great song, Zion's Hill. And my mother lay there waiting to die. And uh, she kept saying, I, I'm going to wait. I, I'm going to wait. I'm waiting here. I'm waiting here at the banks of the river. I'm going to wait. And I think she was waiting for my little brother, John. I think you've met him. He's, I know he comes to the Jubilee. He was there. He's kind of like the retarded child of our family. <laughs> and he never did make it in time. And finally, my mother said, I can't wait any longer. It's the last thing she said on this planet. And a tear <coughs> rolled down about a half an inch out of the corner of her eye and it seemed to freeze like a diamond on her cheek and off to glory she went the last thing she said to me personally she said Timothy Paul I'll see you again because I've been saved and you've been saved and I tell you what a hope we have as a child of God I haven't seen my mother for the last time but one of these days I'll see her for the first time in heaven We have such a wonderful heritage. We have such a wonderful uh, privilege of being a child of God. I think sometimes we take it for granted or we don't count all the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. But I I hope we'll think about it more and more. I think we need a revival of thinking about what Jesus has done for us. That would be a wonderful thing. I want you to look in your book, if you would, to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. I thought about waiting to do this tomorrow night, but I would like to apologize to the church. I have, my health has been, uh, I haven't been well the whole time I've been here. I haven't been well for five weeks, and uh, I feel it in my mind. I feel it in my body, and uh, this morning when I got up, I felt wonderful, best I felt in five weeks, and so my brilliant medical mind said, there's no sense taking your medicine today. You feel so good. I feel terrible tonight. I wish I had taken my medicine this morning. But I I would like to come back when I'm at my best, or at least physically at my best. Of course, that'll be down the road, and I'll be older, so I'll probably be worse. But uh, I just haven't been on the top of my uh, physical game. Uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, 
These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. Now I want to talk to you tonight for a few minutes from the 17th verse. And I want to talk to you about to him that overcometh. Now, sometimes it seems like in life just a verse, just a verse of Scripture in a sermon makes all the difference in someone's life. Sometimes it's just a statement. I went to Bible college at Dr. Tom Malone's school. I was in my last year of junior college, uh, really the last few days of junior college, and for whatever reason, I... I had a 1966 fire engine red 442 with four on the floor. And for whatever reason, maybe my dad's car was parked behind mine or whatever, and I had to get to school. And I said, Dad, I, I, can I take your car to school? He said, fine. And I said to him as I went out the door, I'm taking my keys with you. I don't want you driving my car. <laughs> and I did. I didn't want him driving. He, he would grind the gears in that car, make me mad. And, uh, you know, he, I guess he forgot how to drive a stick. I don't know. But I drove his car to school that day, and I, dumb as I was, I got there, and I, of course, you go to college, you take notes, and I didn't have uh, an ink pen. I was looking, I, man, I didn't have a pen. I kept pens in my car. And I popped the glove compartment on my dad's car, and an ink pen popped out and went on the floor. And it was an ink pen that said on at Midwestern Baptist College. That was Dr. Malone's school. I'd never heard of it in my life. Never, if I had, I hadn't paid any attention to it. And I picked that pen off the floor and I looked at that and God said, that's where I want you to go to school next year. And that's where I went. And I got called to preach there in October of 1970. I was preaching in Ireland, in Northern Ireland some years ago. And an ancient gentleman up in probably in his 80s and 90s he uh, gave his testimony to me one night. He was at Dunkirk uh, waiting to be evacuated with three or 400,000 other English and British soldiers trapped there. And the Germans were uh, strafing the beach. And he said, I, uh, we turned over on our stomachs and we dug as best we could get down into the sand for protection. And he said, I dug there. And when I dug down there right in front of my eyes, was an ink pen. And on that ink pen was a Bible verse. And he said, right there on Dunkirk Beach, I called on the Lord Jesus Christ and yeah. I got born again right yeah. there. Yeah. Just one little thing, one little verse, one little sentence. Yeah. Yeah. And so I trust tonight that something that's said tonight, you don't have to, I want you to listen to the whole message, 
but I hope something will register in your heart and your mind and make a difference this evening. Now, to overcome means, according to the old dictionary, to carry off the victory. It means to win. I think we sang tonight the first song, the winning side. We are on the winning side. It means to conquer. Romans chapter 8 says we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now the plain edict from scripture sometimes, it seemed like it's hard to do from Ephesians chapter 6 to stand. Satan desires all of us to digress spiritually. God's plan for each and every one of us is to progress spiritually. If you don't stand, you're going to go backwards. To go forward, you must stand and make some steps in the right direction. There's a lot of things in over, to overcome in life. Myself, I had to overcome 13 years of public school education. I had to overcome three years of uh, junior college. I had to overcome three years of Bible college. There were some things that I had to unlearn. I had to overcome the 60s. I went through the 60s. I enjoyed the 60s. I, I went the wrong way for a long time in the 60s. Since I've been a preacher, I have to overcome dead churches and ecclesiastical change and compromising friends by the score. I am thankful tonight, though, that I was taught right and trained right and knew a plethora of wonderful men, godly men. I'm thankful for the great authors that I've been influenced by. I've had to overcome Bible deniers and those that hated the King James Bible. I want to say to you tonight, I am stuck with this old King James Bible. I took this book the other day, young preacher that I was in a service with, and I put it under his chin, and I called his name, and I said, I didn't say son, but I called his name, and I said, if I didn't believe this Bible was the word of God, I'd quit preaching and go do something else for a living. But I believe the Bible is the word of God, this King James Bible. I had to overcome spinal meningitis. I was... Uh, stricken with that disease when I was a young boy. It was on the Thanksgiving Eve of 1951 and my mother and father put me in the back of a car. I had a little fever that day. They had the service at their church in northern Michigan. They were going to travel across the northern tier of that state so that they could be with my mother's uh, family and uh, my fever raged, went up to 104, 106, 105, 106. I sat in the back seat of the car, my mother holding me as my, that fever raged and my body began to bend over backwards. By the time they got me to the hospital, my body had bent so far over backwards that the back of my head nearly touched the back of my heels. When I got to the hospital, the doctors cut the clothes off of me handed them to my parents and said, your son will never need these anymore. Said, if your son lives, and it'll be touch and go. If your son lives, he'll be a vegetable. That's the terminology that they used in 1951. He said, if he lives, 
he'll never be able to walk. He'll never be able uh, to have a good mind. Now that part of the doctor's prognosis did come true. But I've had to overcome those kind of things. By the grace of God, I walked out of that hospital several weeks later and God had healed me. I went blind in my right eye about uh, 30-some years ago and had to have a, a transplant. And uh, the, went to my doctor and he said, well, the only thing I think that can solve this, you're going to have to have a transplant. I said, well, okay. And he, I said, when do you want to do it? He said, well, you know, you've got to wait till somebody dies. You've got to get, they have to donate their eye. And, of course, they donate other parts of their body. I didn't need those. I just needed an eyeball. And so uh, I said, well, let's get it done. He said, well, you got to wait. I'll put you on the list. Several weeks passed. He called me with, back in those days. I don't know what it's like now. Uh, you had 24 hours to get an eye. And he said, you need to be at the Kellogg Eye Center tomorrow morning, about 55 miles away from where I live. And I got in the car that evening and drove down there, had to spend the night in the hospital. I got there, about, I'll say this, about halfway to the hospital, it went through my mind, this terrible thought. And I began to pray. I said, God, please, I don't want to have a woman's eye. I don't want to look at things the way a woman looks at things. One of my desires was satisfied yesterday. I've had the greatest hankering for Mexican food since then that any man's ever had. He took me to a Mexican restaurant. I had to go through the death of my mother. I talked about that a bit ago. Uh, my, death, my brother died. My little sister died. And loved ones and peers and preacher friends by the score. I have a paralyzed son who's on the mission field that this church supports and thank God for it. My wife and I, we've had to overcome cancer. In the last three years, she had cancer. I had cancer. We've been able, we are, we are cancer survivors so far. I've had to overcome the modern drift and the compromise and churches where they throw out the hymn books and uh, they put screens up, have dance teams up on the platform doing their thing and all kinds of situations and compromise. It's all over this country. You have preachers now. They think it's cool to stand up there in a pair of blue jeans and an untucked shirt. God help us. I was somewhere not long ago and I, I didn't really know what to preach. You know, it's good to preach against just about everything. And he was preaching again everything and he said, I don't like these skinny jeans. thought for a moment I don't even know what skinny jeans are I know I don't have any we used to have my dad used to have Billy Kelly come and preach at our church every year for I don't know 25 30 years or so Billy would come even if it was just a Sunday and he was going bear hunting he'd stop in and preach and uh, or if he was going salmon fishing he'd stop in and preach so we we loved him and my dad he'd my dad really had more convictions than God has. And um, he didn't like, my dad didn't like hippies at all. You know, the long-haired mess and all of that stuff. And you remember they had uh, uh, bell-bottom pants. Bell-bottom pants way back in the uh, 70s, 60s and 70s. 
And so Billy was going to come, and my dad told him. He said, now, Billy, I don't let anybody with bell-bottom pants preach in our pulpit. Billy said to my dad, he said, Brother Don, I don't have bell-bottom pants, but all of my pants are bell-topped pants. He was a big fellow. <laughs> Sorry, Billy. <laughs> have to overcome the quitters and the wafflers and the liars and the cheats and the con men and the mean men and folk who don't know whether they're boys or girls. Our vice president said this a little bit ago, truth becomes hate to those who hate the truth. I put a little parenthesis. Your governor today signed a one, the heartbeat law for the state of Georgia. No longer are they going to murder babies. Thank God. Also, the lady who thinks she's the governor still thinks she's the governor. Saw that today on my phone. God help that poor soul. The next thing on the agenda for her, she wants to be the vice president for Biden. They can be the vice president of Finland and something. I don't care where they go. I'm, I was raised by Americans. I was raised by people that love the flag. I was raised by people that saluted the flag. I was raised by people. Three of my uncles served in, the war, in World War II. My father-in-law served in World War II. My father-in-law marched 30 days after D-Day all the way to Berlin. I was raised by people that loved our freedoms in this country. I spent a couple of years in the reserves. A long time ago, I didn't do anything. I, I thank God for, you, you know, we, they, the guy that used to be president, he's, he said, middle America are the people that cling to their Bibles and their guns. Thank God for some people that cling to their Bibles and their guns. The last election, the loser called us deplorables. I took it as a compliment coming from her. I want to say to you tonight that Christ has overcome the world and the flesh and death and hell and the grave. He conquered it with a little damsel that he said to lift the kumai to. He conquered it when he was there at the, little, at the city of Nain and a mother was walking out with her son in a casket behind her and he went up and touched her, touched that, that body and he came alive. He went to Lazarus' tomb four days after he was dead and he overcame death in that case and thank God when he was in the tomb himself up from the grave, he arose. And one of these days, we're all getting up in a great coming up morning. We are on the winning side. We ought to act like it every once in a while. Our Bible talks about here, I will give to eat of the hidden man. Now, you know the children of Israel had manna there all through their wilderness wandering. It helped them to survive. And there are some hidden manna that God wants us to enjoy that'll help us through the trackless ways that we'll have to navigate. The Bible says in Exodus 16 that thou, those uh, 
little manna, whatever they were, it fell on the dew, it was on top of the dew, it didn't get defiled by the dirt. They would pick that up and it tasted like wafers and honey. You can trust God to get you through whatever you have to go through. They put some of that in the Ark of the Covenant. It stayed fresh. Jesus said this about himself in John 6 and 48. He said, I am that bread of life. He is life-giving bread for a starving world. He is life-giving bread for a serving Christian. He is life-giving bread for a sainted warrior. Hidden manna will feed us in the wilderness and the difficult days that we experience in this life. You know what happens sometimes? You remember, the children of Israel, they'd been in Egypt so long. I mean, centuries, they'd been there a long time. 430 years, if my memory's right, long time. And they'd been there so long and they'd been eating things. And so, uh, some of them got a little upset. They, they wanted onions and leeks and cucumbers. And garlic. You know, sometimes a lot of God's people get a little weary. And they want to go back. Why in the world, if you had something that tasted like wafers and honey, would you want to bite into an onion? Why would you want the things of the past that the devil and Egypt has to offer in lieu of the things that God provides for his children? There was a famous lady in the 19th century by the name of Jenny Lind. She was called the Swedish Nightingale. She was the most famous opera singer of her day. She made six figures, over $100,000 a year when there were no taxes. She had no taxes to pay. $100,000 a year plus when bread was a nickel a loaf, my goodness, uh, she was a wealthy lady. She came to America on a 120-day uh, concert series and was paid $1,000 a night. That's 120 grand. She made more than most evangelists make. <laughs> she left it all and she quit. One day she was sitting by the seashore in a lounge chair with a friend and she had a Bible. She was reading. Her friend said to her, said, Jenny, why, why did you leave? Why, why did you leave the bright lights? Why did you leave the stage? Why, why did you quit? Sitting there in the sunset with a Bible in her lap, she pointed to the sunset and I quote, she said, I found I was losing my taste for that, the beauty of a sunset. And then she picked up the Bible and she said, I found I was losing my taste for this. And so I gave it up. I want to say one thing about Jenny Lynn. She made a good decision. She made a right choice. We can overcome in our lives and enjoy the feast of our heavenly father and the satisfaction of our Savior and the sanctifying of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I know times are tough. I know there's some difficult days that all of us are gonna have to face. Now, I like to drink Snapple. 
And uh, I think maybe for the last year or so, I've been kind of addicted to uh, peach Snapple in those little bottles. It's good, good stuff. You know, I said that the other day in a service, mentions peach Snapple. The next night at the service, a man brought me a whole uh, case of Snapple. One of the best Christian men I think I've ever met in my life. I, I said one time preaching, I said, boy, I really like those. I said, I probably shouldn't have said it the way I said it. I said, you know, I've been married now, it'll be 49 years this year, but I said, I've been in love with another woman for several years. Her name's Little Debbie. I said, I love those Little Debbie oatmeal cakes. I said, but you know, if you eat enough of them, you'll be a big Deborah. So, uh, <laughs> But I, I opened up one of those Snapple things one day, and you open them up, and inside, they always have some, something interesting, or they, they have a little whatever. And I opened up one day, and it said this, you are not a winner. Try again. Hey, just keep on trying. Just keep on working. Just Hey, one thing about heaven, everybody gets a participation award. Look what it says here. And I will give him a white stone. The overcomer, everyone that goes to heaven is going to get a white stone. Now that's more than a party favor. That's more than a fancy name plate at a fine dinner. The ancients, when they got a white stone, that constituted victory. That, that signified, if you were in a trial, that signified pardon. It denoted the absence of guilt. If you were acquitted in a trial, you got the white stone. If not, if you were guilty, the black stone was yours. That's where you got the term, he was blackballed. Humanity, the the prosecutor is Satan. He gives us all a black stone. But the advocate, our bloody savior, he comes to the sinner with a white stone of absolution. We have an unconditional, perfect, positive, permanent, forever forgiveness by the grace of God. I can't sing. I wish I could sing a little bit. I, I love listening to Lester Roloff sing. He couldn't sing either, but I guess he wasn't as proud as I am. But he used to sing that song, Dark the Sin, that soils men's nature long the distance that he fell. Far removed from hope in heaven, near to deep despair in hell. But there was a fountain opened and the blood of God's own son purifies the soul and reaches deeper, I say, deeper than the stain has gone. Calvary's fountain reaches deeper than the stain of sin. Those girls the the brother prayed about that fellow the pastor talked about a moment ago uh, that got saved in jail. Oh, I tell you, friend, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses all who would come beneath its flowing fountain. Now, I like this part of this little fall. He gave him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. That white stone signifies the fact that we have overcome. 
We're going to reside one day with a holy throng in the presence of the King of Kings and praise the Lord for full salvation. Our white stone signifies that we have overcome and God gives us I don't know if this is the right term or maybe I'm looking at it too juvenile, but God's going to give us a pet name. A little private pet name. We're his son. We're God's son by the new birth. We're his child by adoption. We're Christ's bride by grace. We were betrothed at Calvary and one day our marriage will be consummated in the glory. I have a new name written down and glory and it's mine, it's all mine. It's a personal salvation. It's something just between me and him. What a name. Look what it says in 312. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go no more out and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from God, and I will write upon him my new name. We're going to have a lot of names when we get up there. We're going to have his name and the city's name, his private name, and our own, his own little pet name for us. I don't know what it will be. I, I thought about this, but we're going to be a relative of the king of kings. And the Bible says, verse John 3 and 12, now are we the sons of God. And it says in John 1 and 12, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And it says in Romans 8 and 14, we are led by those that are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. And in Philippians 2 and 15, the blame will be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. And in chapter 3 and verse 1, we are called the sons of God. Well, we're going to be like him, just like our elder brother. We'll never part. We'll never be without him. We'll never say goodbye in glory. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful thing we have to look forward as a child of God. Now, God knows all about all our dark days. All those past trials will be dissolved. Our sins and all their degradation will be remembered against us no more. His redeeming grace has made us a part of the royal overcoming family of God. See, Christ, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God did that. I saw two words, you know them, they're they're interrelated words. They both begin with the letter R and they both have 10 letters. One is redemption. It speaks of the sin of the sinner and the sacrifice of the Savior. It speaks of the guilt of the guilty that caused the suffering of the innocent. The other word that begins with an R with 10 letters is repentance. That equals the innocence of the innocent. It causes the confession of the guilty. It speaks of the sinlessness of the Savior and brings about the surrender and salvation of the sinner. Thank God for the redemption that causes us to repent 
of our sins. On the close, I read a sweet story. I don't, your preacher sends me all kinds of books. He's such a precious fella. And uh, some of them I return and some of them I don't. And I may have gotten this out of one of those old books he sent me some time ago. It's a sweet story of a girl who lived in an orphanage. And she lived there a long time. She came as a baby and grew up in that orphanage and she seemed to have a dream all the time, a, a dream of her own room with a little table in it and a, a chair and a tea set and a crib and a little doll and clothes for that doll, pretty dresses and shoes. She dreamed that there would be a mother that would tuck her in at night and kiss her and tell her a story. And every once in a while in the orphanage, they would bring all the children out and prospective parents would look them all over and I'll take her, I'll take him. And she never got picked for a long time. One day a young couple came and that little girl's presence seemed to climb into those folks' heart. She was chosen and they took her home to their place. They took her upstairs to her own room. She walked into that room and felt like her dreams had all come true. Her musings of her entire childhood became reality. There was a crib, there was a doll, there was a little bed for the dolly. There were pretty dresses for her and for the doll and shoes. And, and that night her mother tucked her in bed, her adopted mother, and kissed her and told her a little story. And all of the dreams of that life that she so desired and had never had become true. I want to say to you tonight, child of God, one of these days all of our dreams are going to come true. We'll be there forever. We'll be with him forever. We'll be with our loved ones gone before forever and forever and forever. And all the dark, ugly things of our past, we'll not remember them. We won't cross our minds. It'll never be a part of our existence there in the glory land. We'll have a mansion. There'll be streets that are gold and Oh, it'll be the most wonderful. I have not seen nor ear heard the things that God hath prepared for those that love him. I'm looking forward. I don't know. I don't know what will be on my white stone that he hands me someday. You know, you might come over to my mansion and say, Tim, I want to see what he wrote on yours. No, I don't think so. That's just between him and me. Just between him and me. And that's what salvation is. It's just between him and me. See, you don't know the pit from which I was digged. Yes, I grew up in a preacher's home, in a godly home. My mother was a godly lady. My dad was a holy man. But I went my own way. I walked my own trail. I was the rebel. I wanted nothing to do with old-time religion. I didn't want anything to do with that. And when I went off to state college, I did everything there was to do at state college. All the foolishness. 
I'm not proud of it. I, I never even say it publicly. I wouldn't want my three sons or my grandchildren to hear a CD or look on YouTube and me talking about what Jesus Christ has completely cleansed me from. Amen. It's all gone. Why should I dredge it up when he's forgiven it and forgotten it? Oh, I tell you, I'm looking forward to getting that white stone. What a, what a day that's going to be. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe he'd have to take us off over in the corner and say, here, this is yours, Tim. Don't let anybody know. It's just between me and you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm the only one that really knows what that word means. You say, there are a lot of people in heaven, you think he might run out of words? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm going to say this tonight. You can overcome. No matter what, some of you may have grown up in terrible homes. I didn't grow up in a bad home. May have had a broken home. I have a son tonight whose home was broken about 12 or 13 years ago this month. I know a little bit of it vicariously through him, what he's gone through. It's a heartbreak. It's devastating. And they had a little child who's now 14 years old. I don't know which way she's going to go. Like any granddad, I pray for my grandchildren every single day. The world goes around. Like our brother mentioned a moment ago about his granddaughter. I pray about them. Pray about them. I want them to overcome. I want them to have victory. I want them to be saved. I'm not talking about making a little profession of faith that does not do one, does not change one thing in their life. I am talking about the new birth. We become a new creature in Christ Jesus. And old things pass away and behold, all things become new. That's the only kind of overcoming salvation that's going to get you to heaven one day. Father in heaven, we thank you for these few minutes tonight. This ancient text. Just like a telescope to the future for the child of God. I can see it in my mind's eye. I can see standing there before you. I can see getting that white stone in my hand. I can see it. I can look back down through time and see the medical maladies, the spiritual problems, the rebellion in my heart, and all that by your grace. I've been able to overcome. And I pray, God, you'd help us tonight. There's someone in the building that's not a Christian. I pray you'd save them. And I know there's people in this room, without a doubt, with carrying heavy burdens about children or grandchildren or a mate or a loved one. And God, I pray you'd help us to be about your business in regard to living right witnessing right, talking to people faithfully, praying right, seeing you do things in the 
hearts and lives of people. I still believe you're a miracle working God. I still believe God can do anything. Help us to have our faith in you. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Anybody in the building tonight say, Brother Green, I'm not a Christian or I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't really have it settled tonight, but I'd like to get it taken care of. Would you raise your hand high that I could see it? Anybody like that? Man or woman, teenager, I'm not a Christian. Does anybody here tonight say, Preacher, I, <laughs> I, I haven't overcome some areas of my life. There's some things that they constantly, they win way too often. You can get in this altar tonight and pray about it and ask God to help you, and I can guarantee you he'll help you. He'll help you. He'll give you victory. We are on the winning side. We can overcome. There's people here tonight. Say, preacher, I got some lost loved ones. I've got some family members. I got some people that are astray. I got some folks I'm concerned about. Come tonight and get in this altar as our brother leads us in this great old song. Let's stand our feet. Would you come and pray? You know, it might be the prayer tonight. Might be the prayer tonight that makes all the difference in the world in that individual's life. Would you come? God bless you. Folk are coming. Go ahead, brother. Tempted and tried with off May to one. You're not saved. Would you come tonight and get saved? Why it should be Make a reservation for that place in heaven. Have some anticipation about that white stone with the name, your name, that special name. To come. And let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for those that have found their way to the front. Whatever their purpose in coming, may it be holy and may it be helped tonight. May the prayer that was offered on this altar tonight somehow be carried by the wings of a zephyr, placed on the sides of the Mount Zion in glory may someone pick it up and bring it before the throne may you grant may you grant the desire of many someone's hearts that we're here on this altar tonight I ask it oh God in faith believing trusting you to do what seems like impossible Improbable. 
But Lord, there's a lot of folk in this room tonight that when someone prayed for us, we look like an impossibility. We look like an improbability. We look like no chance. But you heard and you helped and you healed and you saved. And I pray, oh God in heaven, you do that for those that were on this altar tonight in Christ's name. Preacher.